Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. Father God, we thank you this morning that we can gather in this place. This is a very decorated uh, church building. kids onto you, and Lord, that is uh, what we want to recognize for ourselves, that Lord, you are our Savior, you are our Lord, and it's in you that we put our hope and our, our trust. Father, this morning as we turn to your word, which reveals you, we ask that through Isaiah we can hear from you this morning, that we can listen in, that the things that want to drown out your word from our week past or the week upcoming, that they can silenced miraculously by you, Spirit, and that we can listen into you. Uh, Father, I, I pray this morning that uh, as we are broken people who need your gospel message, that we can be reminded of how good you are, that you came in, that you love us, that you were patient with us, that you cared enough to do something about our brokenness. Father, I, I thank you this morning that you are our God who is working even now, and that your word, which has been preserved through the years, is uh, one that isn't just for Israel in their time, but something that speaks to us in our condition today. So, Father, will you be with us this morning? Will you speak to us through what your word has to say? Well, this morning, uh, I want to start off first, before I get into the message, um, of just commenting a couple, little bit on powwow. Uh, many of you came and helped out, and I want to thank you guys who stopped at the tent and helped out with the bounce houses to uh, kind of manage the madness, which is kids jumping around and, and bouncing around, and it's a joy. Uh, I think Merv learned a new skill in how to make buttons, wherever he is. He's master button maker there. Uh, we, we helped out. Uh, they... I really appreciate when the church comes together and the vision that we have for just serving our community. I know there are a number of parents who just said, thank you for helping out. Thank you for giving this. Um, there were parents who were just really appreciative. And even though we had rain in the, in the mornings, we had a, a good evening to celebrate and to, to have kids just enjoy and run through the bounce house. And someone the other day asked me, well, what was your favorite part of Powell? And I had to think for a second, and there's a lot of stuff, the food and everything. Um, but one of the things that I, I enjoyed most was Monday night, and I have one picture of it that's going to come up here, uh, that is of me with these kids. On Monday night after the parade, it was crazy of all these kids lining up and, and going through. I don't know if you guys saw it, but we had a, a 45-foot uh, uh, obstacle course that the kids were running through. They had to, like, dodge some things like they were like a football lineman. And then they had to hurdle some stuff and climb this kind of mountain and slide down. And the kids absolutely loved it. So much so that they were really just wanted to keep going through it really, really fast. That they wanted to keep on plowing through and going and going and going. And, and so what I had to do, one of my favorite parts was sitting there and, and telling the kids when they, when they could go. 
these kids, they made it a race, a lot of them. They were competing against their buddies or their brother or sister, and they were running through and making it a race, and, and they were excited to do it. But in the midst of being really excited about it, I also had to slow them down, and I don't know how well I always was able to slow them down, but there's parts where we needed to slow them down and make them wait, because if there were too many kids in there, they were crashing into each other and running into each other. And so, in part, was to say go was was the the joy of having them race, but it was also uh, in wisdom to try to make them wait so that they weren't crashing into the kids that were ahead of them. There was a purpose as an adult to make them wait they could go in. And that was really hard for the kids to go through, for them to wait and, and to listen to what my command was. Uh, they were being, it was, it was really easy for them to become impatient. So why do I mention that? Why am I bringing that up? Because this morning's message in Isaiah is really about patience. I want you to turn to Isaiah 30, and the message titled this morning has to do with us being impatient children. Uh, the, these kids who would run around and do their laps around the, uh, around the, the, the bounce house and would try to get through and be, just keep on rushing through, uh, you know, those are just kids that are thinking, hey, I want to go through and I know what's best for me, but uh, someone had to stay in and say, hey, hold off for a minute, slow down. And such it is with God that we're going to see this morning. For us in our lives, in our spiritual lives especially, it, it's quickly want to run into things and, and, and think we know what's best for us and go after our own plans rather than wait on the Lord. So this morning, we want to learn to wait. This morning from Isaiah chapter 30, we start to see that Israel was not a people who was a waiting people. Join me in Isaiah 30, and I want to read verses 1 through 7 first to start off with, and then we'll continue through the passage as we go. So it's 1 verse 1 through 30, 1 through 7, excuse me, says this, Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, who make an alliance but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who sent out, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in in the protection of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt? Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame, and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. For though his officials are at Zoan, and his envoys reach Hain, everyone comes to shame, through a pe- though a people that cannot profit them, that brings neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. In Oracle on the Feast of Negev, Though the land is troubled and anguished from where, where comes the lion, lionesses and the lion, the adder and the flying serpent, they carry their riches on the backs of donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to a people that cannot profit them. Egypt's help is worthless and empty. Therefore I called her Rahab, who sits still. Our message this morning, again, in Isaiah, where Isaiah we're reminded of who Isaiah is. He's a prophet speaking to God's people. He's, he's not just telling the future. He's telling of their spiritual condition, trying to speak uh, on behalf of God. When he's heard from God, he's trying to just be a conduit of the message to the people. He's speaking to them about their condition, and he's speaking to them that they are really being an impatient people. Look at 
verse 1, he describes the relationship. These are a stubborn children. There's a relationship there where, where these people are in relationship with God, where he is kind of their father and they are his children. And we're familiar with that. Jesus himself speaks and prays to our father who art in heaven. There's a relationship there, a closeness. But here, that relationship of being a parent-child relationship is one where they are being stubborn in their ways. They aren't listening. They're, they're kind of balking at it and being a child that doesn't want to follow their father. What are they doing? Verse 2. It speaks, or verse 1 and 2, it says that they're carrying out plans, but not mine. They're making an alliance, but not of my spirit. Here Isaiah is pointing to what they, what's going on in the, in the context of Israel, of, of Judah, actually, the southern kingdom, as he's speaking to them. They, we were reminded that, that the people of God, they have Assyria, this big, bad, bully nation that's to the north of them. Uh, they are mighty, powerful, their weapons are better, uh, and they're strong, and they're conquering territory. And again, we see Israel is frightened by this shadow of Assyria that's kind of looming over them, right? It's looming over them, and, and they're becoming fearful, and they're, they're not waiting on God. They become impatient. And what we see is that these impatient plans in these verses are not going to profit them. They're impatient because they'd rather try to find their own plan. They'd rather go after their own ways rather than trust in God. Now remember, they are God's set-apart people. They are the people of the living God who, who has already brought them out of Egypt. If you go back in your, your history of this people, God brought them out of Egypt. He showed them many wondrous things, brought them out. He drowned Pharaoh in the Red Sea. He brought them through the wilderness. He encamped them at this place. And, and God showed up even when David and Solomon were there and they built the temple. God, David and Solomon, or Solomon did. And God showed up miraculously. This is a God who's walked with them, who's led them, who's given them plans for their life. And now here they are. They're distracted and they're worried. And so they start to turn away and look. Where? They're looking to Egypt. They're looking to make plans with Egypt. How ironic is it that this is a people who was brought out by the mighty hand of God from Egypt, and now they're turning back and saying, hey, let's go back to Egypt. That's our protection. That's our safe place. Let's go back there because that will give us protection from Assyria. There's an irony there as they're anxious in this time. So they're not trusting. They're not looking to God, and it's making them impatient. They don't want to wait on God. They'd rather hedge their bets and make their own way. Now here in Mountain Lake, I don't know what makes you anxious, what makes you impatient. What makes you uh, uneasy for me is maybe when the UPS guy is driving around town and I know that there's something on his truck and I want him to come to my house, so I get anxious. Or, or maybe it's something silly like when you hit rush hour traffic at 5 o'clock on 3rd Avenue, right? And you got to wait impatiently for five cars as they pass and you start tapping the wheel, right? We get anxious over the littlest things and impatient like it's ruining our day, but we have to wait. And the question is, what is God trying to do with us there? What is God trying to speak to us in, in having patience and building that up in us? It doesn't profit us any to be impatient. On a more serious note, I think there's other things 
that can be looming in our lives, like Assyria, a, a mighty shadow that's overwhelming us and is bearing down on us, a task or a circumstance in our life. And we get anxious and impatient, and we don't want to trust God, right? We don't want to wait for Him and follow His plan. So we look for something else to kind of save us, to give us hope. For some people, it's, it's another idol. For some people, in their brokenness and their impatience, they need relief from the pressure rather than waiting on the Lord. And they turn to something like alcohol, or they turn to, to sex, or they turn to any number of things. Maybe it's even their toys that they, they want to take pleasure in that rather than trusting the Lord with what they're becoming impatient about. I think of so many things. I think of their young men that I know that in their, in, in their lack of having a relationship or something like that, or, or, or those who their marriage isn't going right, guys that is, and, and they're impatient and they're not satisfied, and so they'll go where? They'll go to something like the Internet to click on something that will satisfy will give hope, and it's clearly not of God's plan. Those things are, are where we go when we turn impatient. But we got to know where those plans lead. When we start to off-ramp from God's plan and detour and go our own way, make our own path, we have to understand that it's not going to profit us. For these people, Judah, as they're going down to uh, to Egypt, and they're, they're even taking their treasures, it says. It, it gives this kind of funny commentary on the beasts, the, the camels and the donkeys of Israel as they're riding down to Egypt. It's saying the treasures of these people are on the back so they can make a deal with Egypt, but it's not going to profit them. It's only going to lead to shame and dishonor. Verses 3, Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame, and the shelter of the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. It goes on again to say that this worth worthless, and it's going to bring shame and disgrace. So not only is it going to bring not profit them, but it actually is going to cause a great loss to have impatient plans. When we don't wait on the Lord, not only does it does it do we lose but we're also brought into this idea of shame. Now, now for us, shame in our context is maybe we do something that's shameful that we don't want people to know about. But in, in Bible times and, and in other places in the world, now, shame has more of a cultural construct. It has more to do with, with identity. It has more to do with who we are and, and who people see us as. One dictionary spoke of it this way, that honor and shame from biblical perspective, the social values determining a person's identity and social status. Honor is a person's claim to self-worth. Honor is a person's public reputation, which constitutes his or her identity. Now, why is that important as we look to the Bible? It's saying that if you go down to Egypt, Israel, you're going to lose your identity. You're going to lose the thing that you value that makes you of great value, which is what? It's being a people of God that depend on God, that follow after Him. You will lose that if you're not following my ways. You're going to lose your identity as being a people set apart for me, as a people that depend on me. You're going to lose what we could go to the New Testament and say. You're going to lose your saltiness in the world. It's going to be shameful, and you're going to be left 
with nothing that makes this morning as we're thinking about what is it things in my world that I'm making too many patience for, that I might not trust God in. We, we need to ask that question and say, uh, if I do that, if I don't trust the way of the Lord, if I'm not praying to Him, it's not just that I'm not trusting Him, it's actually that I, I'm losing my saltiness. I, I'm losing my flavor for the world. I'm losing my uniqueness in the world. So the question that we can ask too is for Israel here in this passage, are they, are they forgetting about God because they just kind of looked away for a little bit, that they forgot, that they had some kind of mind lapse and forgot what God had done in the past? Or is there something else going on? And this really gets at the heart, these next verses, verses 8 through 17, of why they were starting to go down their own path, why they were becoming impatient with the Lord. It wasn't just that they had forgotten, but it's actually that it came from them ignoring God's voice. Look at verses 8 through 17. Verse 8, God says to Isaiah, Now go, write it down before them on a tablet, and inscribe it in a book, that it may be for a time to come as a witness forever. Now we'll pause there. God is speaking to Israel or to Isaiah and saying, Write this down so that for all time this people can be known because they didn't trust me, but more importantly, why they didn't trust me. What was going on in their hearts that they didn't want to trust, that they became impatient with me? Verse 9. For they are rebellious people, lame, lying children, children unwilling to hear. Again, that father-son relationship. The instructions of the Lord. They say to seers, do not see, and prophets, do not prophet, prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusion. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and pervasiveness and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse. And breaking comes suddenly in an instant breaking it like a, of a potter's vessel, that it's smashed so ruthless, that among its fragments not a shard is found with which to take fire from the hearth or to dip water out of the cistern. For the Lord has said, the Lord God has, for the, thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in truth shall your be your strength. You, but you were unwilling and said, No, we will flee upon horses. Therefore, you shall flee away, and we will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore, your punishers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one, and at the threat of five you shall flee, till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of the mountain, like a signal on a hill. What's going on here? The impatience the lack of trust in God, it's not that they've forgotten. It's that they've ignored the voice of God. It's that they've chosen to wander. They've chosen to be rebellious and not listen to their God and His Word. Look at verses 10 again. He's speaking. These people have spoken to a prophet like Isaiah and said, No, 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 don't tell us hard things. Don't tell us things that, that are uncomfortable, that kind of 
press into us and challenge us. Don't give us things that are that we don't that are we, we really would rather not hear that, that just kind of dig in and kind of convict us of our wrongdoing. They say, no, tell us good things, true things, sweet things that just are right in, in line with what we want to hear. He's telling, they're telling the prophet Isaiah, we just want you to be a yes man that tells us good and, and profitable things for us so that we can be happy. Some of you may have the New Living Translation that says it this way, do not tell us what is right, tell us nice things, tell us lies, forget about all this gloom, get off your narrow path, stop telling us about your Holy One of Israel. This relationship between son and kids, it's, it's rebellious so much where they're saying, we want to disregard God, we want to get rid of our God, we want to forget about Him. We'd rather have lies and darkness than listen to Him. Sounds an awful lot like what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, right? For a time is coming, Timothy, when people will not endure sound teaching, but have, having itching ears, they will accumulate, accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from the listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This idea of us not listening, of us wanting to turn away from God, as much as we want to say, yes, I listen to God, and yes, I want to listen to His Word and His voice, what we need to understand and believe is that it's in our nature, and it always has been, to walk away and desire more things that are comfortable and things that make us happy and, and, and satisfied than, rather than hearing convicting things that challenge us and are uncomfortable that we have to deal with. He's been away from Israel. Paul said it to Timothy, and he expected it in his own time, and I think that for us even today, we should know that there are things where we want to hear smooth words rather than difficult words. When we start to do that, when we start to do that, even as believers in Christ, when we start to trust in things that are more comfortable than things that challenge us, what we do is we start to ignore the Word of God, and that's when we start to become impatient and not rest in the Lord, not trust in the Lord. So what is the voice of the Lord for us in this day? What, what are the things that we might ignore? It, I, I intentionally put up there the, God's voice, because I think if I would have put up there His Word, we might just think that it's this book. Now, this is one place where we hear God's Word. We want to open it. We want to be in it. We want to listen to it and respond to it and, and grasp it and say, I want to hear, and, and not just go to the passages that make us happy, but we want to go to the passages that even challenge us. We don't want to scrap away the parts of this book that convict us of our brokenness, our sin. We want to go into it and listen to it and, and hope that God can direct us in it. The other thing that we want to see in this, so that we can see as God's Word, is, is that when we come to church, one of the reasons that we come to church is not just to gather together and have a good Sunday morning where we're doing good things, but ultimately we want to come here to hear the voice of the Lord. That's why we come during this time and we give a message from the Word of God. If all you hear up here is, is me, 
then that's really not important. But what's important is, I think, and I believe, that God's Word and, and the, the, the voice of God can come through this and through my voice and, and convict and be challenging to us. And I think for us this morning, we need to acknowledge that, that, that if there's something in your heart that you're saying, oh, that's a sin area, or that makes me uncomfortable, or, or I'd rather not Pastor Dan say that or that, that's not me saying that. I think that that's the voice of God speaking to you in ways that you might not be trusting Him, that you might be impatient to Him. And the question is, will you listen to it, or will you ignore it? Another way that we can listen to the Word, hear the voice of the Lord, is through other brothers and sisters that can sharpen us, that can speak into our lives, that can challenge us, and also through the prompting of the Spirit. Some of us know that sometimes God, maybe not audible voice, but there's things in our head that Spirit is saying, do this or don't do this. Flee from this sin or go pray for that person. And, and those things, again, are the voice of God. And the question is, will we ignore it? Which is again going to lead us to lacking in trust in God. Or will we listen and follow has been speaking to you? What is it that you are, are, are being challenged with by Him, by the Word, through a message, however it may come? What are the things and what are you going to do with it? Are you going to listen and say, I need to follow God's Word? It's rather grim, this passage. It's kind of sad because God is going to remove them from their land because they aren't following Him. They aren't trusting. It's not going to end up well for these people at but there's still a great news gospel starting in verse 18. Look at verse 18 and 20. It says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Here we see that God waits God doesn't need to give us anything. Again, as I've said before, if I were God, I would probably just say, away with you, I'm done with you, I don't want to have anything to do with you. But thankfully, our God isn't that. Our God is a God of grace, who loves, who's kind, compassionate, and He wants to give us good things. It's in His nature to wait for us. It goes on in verse 19. For people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the second, at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And through, though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you, saying, This is the way. Walk in it. And when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, then you will defile then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and with your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, Be gone. And he, God, will give you rain on this, for the seed with which you sow in the ground, and bread, the produce of the ground, which will be rich and plent plentous. In that day your livestock will graze 
the large pastures, and the oxen and the donkey will work the ground will be seasoned fodder, which has been winnowed with shovel and fork. And in every lofty mountain and every high hill, there will be brooks running with water in the days of great slaughter when the towers fall. Moreover, verse 26, the light in the moon will be as light as the sun, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of the seven days of the day when the Lord binds up the brokenness of the people and heals the wounds inflicted by his blows. So it says the Lord is going to wait, and he's going to give. He's going to give us a teacher. He's going to give us great blessing. He's going to give us all these things. And it's easy for us, again, like I said, to forget this, to forget the fact that God didn't need to do this. This is in God's loving nature. This is in his grace to do this. We naturally ignore him, but he waits for us. He's patient with us. He waits to be gracious, he says. Now, the question that I asked myself as studying this passage this week was, what kind of waiting is this? What kind of waiting is God doing? Is he just hanging out around, looking at his clock, and trying to outlast a child who's having a temper tantrum? Parents have maybe been there before. Where you, where you have to outwait and outlast this kid who's crying, and, and, and you're trying to be patient with him. I don't think that that's what it's being referred to here. I think what's being, it's being talked about in God's waiting and his character is something different. He's waiting to be gracious to us. He's holding back something so that he can be gracious to us. And I think what we see in this passage, what is really being communicated here, God is holding back his judgment of our rebellion. He's holding back his wrath, his punishment on us. He's holding it back and reining it in for a time when he can do something that is gracious and brings us back to him. This isn't so much to say that God is just hanging out and waiting for us to turn, because that would put the onus on us, that would put the energy on us to turn back, but instead he's saying, I'm holding back so that I can do something for you. And I say that because by the time we get to verse 20, he says, by grace you're going to see a teacher who's going to lead you. You're going to hear him say, this is the way. You're going to see and hear someone that will lead you. The prophet is speaking of Jesus to come, one who's going to lead and guide and direct them in their ways because these people on their own, they don't know how to follow God on their own. They need someone to lead them. And by the end, down in verse 26, an important verse, because that's where the thought ultimately concludes. It says that in that day, that day is going to be a day when he binds the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds of his afflicted, inflicted by his blows. Verse 26, he says, you're going to see your teacher and he's going to come and eventually buy, he's going to heal the brokenness of the people. That same words that are being here, used here in verse 26 are the words that's used later in that famous passage in Isaiah 53, where God says this, that he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. 
verses in chapter 30 is that eventually God is going to bring something. His waiting isn't for us to turn. His waiting is for His plan to proceed forward. His plan to bring a Savior who will bring us back into relationship with Him. The plan that's been since the garden when Adam and Eve broke down that relationship, that that God is going to bring this plan where through the brokenness, through our burden, our, our rebellion against Him, our desire that started with Adam and Eve in the garden to turn from God and rebel and not trust His plan, God was going to bring one that was going to mend the way, Jesus Christ. God waits to give us that. God waited in this time to give us that, and He did. You can listen to Paul's words in chapter 5 of Romans. But God showed His love for us that while we were still prisoners of life, Christ died for us. That even when we weren't trusting in His plan, even when we were impatient with God's ways, even when we were trying to seek salvation on our own, similar to Israel, who who didn't want to trust God for their salvation, but wanted to go after their own ways, the ways of the world, God says, I have a plan, a better plan. We need to be reminded of that this morning. Now we can think that that Jesus dying on the cross is just for those things of when we, from when we were a kid, when we prayed a prayer, when we first came to salvation. But this gospel message that God waited and showed us a plan to, for us to trust in and to listen to our teacher, that even has something to do with our brokenness today. The thing that looms overneath, over our heads, the thing like Assyria, that we want to go after our own way and trust in the world's ways to find salvation. But instead, God says, no, find hope in that plan plan of Christ, that where you're uneasy, where you're impatient, that the hope is in the cross, the hope isn't that Jesus came back, or that he came back from the grave, and that he will come again. Now why did God, why did God wait? Why does God wait to give us this plan? Why does God uh, bring us this plan that even when we're impatient, even when we're not trusting in him, why does he want us to rely on the gospel? That Jesus' work is enough, even in our day-to-day stuff. I think he waits and gives one because we're human beings. He's gracious, he's patient, he's merciful. I think it's because he's what, it's what he promised, he's good to his promise, that he promises this to come. I, I think also that uh, for the, that he wants to bless us and bring us in, and he loves us like a good father that wants to give us blessing. But ultimately, the biggest thing is I think he wants to show to the world that he is glorified through this plan. That when the world is trusting in its own ways, when the world is being impatient and going after the world's ways, like Israel was going after Egypt, those of us who rest in God, who rest in God's plan, of working, his salvation at the cross, and the spirit that he now leaves with us, that when we trust in that, it shows to the world, again, our distinctiveness. Remember that, that the shame, when we go off our own ways, we're brought to shame. We lose our identity. We lose our distinctiveness. We lose our saltiness. But when we trust in his plan, what we gain is his song, his glory. But we gain that, and we can celebrate that that's where this last point goes. The fifth point for us. 
verses 27 through 33. It says this, Behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with his anger and thick rising smoke. His lips are full of fury, and the tongue with the drowning fire hit. Breath is like an overflowing stream that reaches up to the neck and to sift the nations and, and sieve of destruction and to place the jaws of the peoples a bridle that leads astray. Verse 29, an important verse. You shall have a song in that night when a holy feast is kept and the gladness of heart as when one sets out the sound of a flute to go to the mountain of the Lord, to the rock. that we don't trust God and that we need to be reminded of that He's the answer. He's the one we go to. Because when we look to His plan, His waiting and giving plan, which was Christ to depend on that work that gives us hope in this life and that He will one day come again, then we move from the beginning of this passage, which is we we bring on shame on ourselves, we lose our identity, to now, in verse 29, now we move from shame to a song that God is going to make right all the things according to His plan, and in that plan, when we trust in it, we will be singing and rejoicing. So in a moment, we're going to sing. We're going to sing about gifting Jesus. The things in our life, for each of us, are a little bit different, and I actually know some of the things for some of you. There might be other things that are unmentioned, that are overwhelming, that you're lacking patience in the Lord, that you don't want to wait for Him. You're like, Lord, I, I can't make it through this. But again, I would remind us that in this plan, what God is doing is saying, trust that in the end, I'm going to work all things out for my good. That we can sing in that, that Jesus is enough in our life, and that we're patient in our gospel confession of Christ. So with that, let us pray. Let us renew our confidence in Him. Let us trust.